good morning. Please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 48. Uh, and we're going to look at the Father who blesses this morning. And once you get to there, I want you to flip back to, we're going to test your Bible skills, flip back to Hebrews chapter 11. We're actually going to start in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, a lot of times the, ch- the Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. Uh, and so you've got several people that are mentioned there, and, uh, and they're mentioned as, as the great things that they have done for the Lord. There's these, uh, these giants of the faith. Before we get there, though, uh, just get a quick recap of where we are in the story. We're doing a, a review of Joseph's life. And so we have gone through the process of him being sold into slavery uh, by his brothers. We've seen him uh, uh, go and uh, be lied about by Potiphar's wife. And then he gets, uh, he's uh, forgotten by the baker. Uh, and, the, and, the, and so then he uh, goes on to become second only to Pharaoh, where he's warned the people about this great famine that's to come. He's prepared them, and then his brothers come, which is really the, the, the push of this series. And so then we see the brothers repent uh, of their sin, uh, and they, they come to put their faith in God. And then we see uh, that uh, uh, at this point in the story, Jacob's dad has been brought to Goshen. The brothers are in Goshen. This is this land that's set apart just for uh, Joseph and his family, specifically his family because they're shepherds. And so God is just doing a wonderful work. And so at the end, we have this, this patriarch named Jacob. Who is going to be blessing his children, his grandchildren, his son Joseph, and then his grandchildren uh, that, that are going to be put before him. And so we're going to look at this idea of, of blessing. But before we do, I want us to start in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It's often called the Hall of Faith. The, the, hall of faith. the great leaders of God's people are remembered, and they're oftentimes introduced with the phrase, by faith. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Isaac did this. And so look what it says about Jacob. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21. By faith Jacob when dying blessed each one of his sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And so what is it that makes the blessing of Joseph's son this great act of faith? Right? It's, I mean this is the hall of faith. This is, this is where the big guys go. Like this is the Deborah and the, the, all of those people are mentioned there as far as being great great people of faith. What was it? How was this an act of faith? So Jacob, being near his death, knew that he could uh, not see the fulfilled promise, this promise of this land, of being able to go back. I mean, uh, he's going to be in Egypt for a while. He knows that his time is coming. So in faith, he saw that Ephraim and Manasseh, that's the two boys, would not remain in Egypt, but uh, would departing with the Israelites would, the fa- would become two of the great tribes of Israel, right? These two boys are going to go on to become the th- of the 13 tribes of Israel. They're the, the, one of the greats. Uh, they're going to become a great nation for God. These two boys that he sees put before him. And so they're going to be founders. And so God's people were going to enter into about 400 years of slavery. Uh, they're, uh, in, they're going to remain in Egypt. The Pharaoh that's going to replace the current Pharaoh is going to forget all about Joseph and what he did. And he's going to see these massive amount of people that have gone from this handful full of family, this small family, to a great nation. And so we're going to see what it means by this. But the big idea is now you've got granddad. He knows his time is coming to an end. The Lord in his grace allowed him to be able to know that. And so he is now wanting to bless 
uh, his sons, wanting to bless his grandchildren. And so this is the story we're going to look at. And it's that idea of how do we bless the next generation? Right? How, do I, how do I be a blessing to, to my children, to my grandchildren? How do I do that? And we have this laid out for us today. And I'm very excited to go through and look at this. But before we do, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy and compassion. Lord, you are a God that desires to use us for your purpose and your will. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you will help us to understand this idea of blessing, to be a blessing to others, specifically those within our family and maybe even the next generation. And, Lord, I pray that you will just move mightily in all of our hearts. Help us to grab your word and apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see is that uh, the first thing that Joseph does is he's going to remember a promise that has been given from God. Look at verse 1 through 7, Genesis chapter 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. And so he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. And then Israel summoned his strength, and he sat up in his bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you a fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in the inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padam to my sorrows, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when she was still some distance to go from Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. So as in the earlier patriarchal narratives, you can go back. And look at the other men that are mentioned as the patriarchs. This blessing of the father is passed on to the next generation. It's, it's an event, it's a moment that's very important in this culture where they are given the blessing. And so he knows it's time, Jacob knows it's time for me to now give the blessing to the next generation. And so he begins, he, he, he begins to do that. This blessing was a gift that was bestowed upon those that could not claim it as a right. You can't just claim it, it has to be given. It's given as a gift. And it's the gift of a future. The blessing is one generation passing on a positive uh, future to the next generation. This idea of, I see some things, I want these things to happen, I, I see this and I'm blessing you with these things. We're going to see what that means in just a second. But Jacob's remarks to his sons and his grandsons are part of the blessing that's to come. It begins by saying, and as all believers in God, if you're wanting to bless the next generation, you want to bless uh, your grandchildren, your children, it all begins. Look what Jacob's comments begin with, right? He knows his time is coming. Word is sent to Joseph. Joseph goes and grabs his two grandchildren, and they go to appear before Jacob. And as he's there, the first words out of his mouth, the first things that we must say are God Almighty. Right? The blessing upon our children for a generation to come is the story of how God has worked in your life. God is important to you. And so the first thing you say as you're on your deathbed, giving your blessing to the next generation, is he says, God Almighty. 
He wished to have his, the, his sons to have as their last memory of him, this scene uh, uh, that God gave him, that he's going to give God all the credit, he's going to give God all the glory. All these things that have happened to me in my life, I now give God all the glory. God Almighty, those are the first words that he says. And this would enable them to stand in the days of slavery that's to come. They're going to have to be in that furnace of judgment that's to come. And it's going to begin with Jacob's blessing upon his children. He says, God Almighty. And in verse 3, he recounts the events uh, uh, that when God appeared to him earlier in his life. Look, he says, God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, and I will make you a fruitful and multiply you. It's a promise that was given to him, a blessing that was given to him. God had made him a promise. And now Jacob is showing how God is going to has brought that promise to be. I'm, I'm going to make you into a nation, and now that's beginning to happen. And now he's passing that on. So just as Joseph's dreams had come true, God in Jacob's life would ultimately bring about all that he had promised. This blessing is a promise that's to be fulfilled. In his entire life, in Jacob's entire life, there are two events that he brings up. Right? So Jacob, again, he's, this is, he's wanting his grandchildren, he's wanting his son to remember this. Right? These are the words of the blessing, this huge important event. He's like, guys, huddle up, get close. I'm going to tell you something. The words that he say, it says here are very important. Right? So he begins with God Almighty, and then he gives two events in his life. First is the vision at Bethel where God had blessed him, right? This is where he had wrestled with God. He had slept on a, a stone pillow, and he wrestled with God through the night, and God at the end touched his hip, so he walked with a limp. And like you have this, this wrestling here and changed his name to Israel. That was a moment in his life where God changed his life forever. And then the second event is the passing of his beloved Rachel, right? So there were two things in this man that made him what he was. Two influences that shaped his entire life, his faith and his beloved wife. And so he's saying to these two boys, listen, very important, what you need to listen, you need to, you need to pay attention to this, is that there's two things that are very dear and very important to me. One was my faith, and God did this in my life, and also God gave me this woman named Rachel, and she meant the world to me, and here's what happened. And so he's telling the story. So there's two things here that are really important to him, his faith and his wife. His love, the love of his life, he's described. And so, uh, and when, when, what, so he, at the end, you have this promise that Jacob says in verse 5, Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, Joseph's sons were taken into Jacob's family as his own sons, treated as his own they, along with the other brothers, would inherit the promise of Abraham. Notice that Joseph does not become a tribe. It's his two sons. Jacob blessed Joseph by blessing his two sons. Right, I'm going to bless you, my son, by making your two sons' names great in the nation that's to come. So they, along with the other brothers, inherit this promise of Abraham. This promise that was given to the first patriarch, right? So you have Abraham, Isaac, and it gets passed down from generation to generation. This promise of Abraham. And later, Ephraim and Manasseh would become very important in the tribes of Israel. The whole group was at, at several points called Ephraim, right? There was his tribe, that one tribe, very important. So what is the promise 
of Abraham. And we're going to break down the blessing in just a minute. But I want us to just understand, what are we talking about when we talk about the blessing? All right, so it's this idea of a promise. And it's this idea of the promise of Abraham. So what is this promise? Look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. This is God. He's talking to Abraham. He brings him outside. And he says, and he brought him outside. And he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, you shall, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it toward him as righteousness. Abraham has no children. He's very old at this point in his life. There's no potential for him to have some massive, uh, huge family. And yet God says, look at these stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. And he believed him. Even though he's old, he's like, I believed him. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Then look at Genesis chapter 17, two chapters later. He says, this is a promise, and I will, this is God again talking to Abraham. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, af after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. That means all the generations to come, everlasting. This promise that I'm making to you will be forever, for every generation behind you. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. I'm going to be your God and all the generations that follow, I will also be their God. All the generations to follow. Well, Drew, that's great for them. And that's fantastic for Abraham and Jacob and all those guys. But what does that have to do with me? Now let's go to Galatians, right? We, go, we fast forward a whole lot throughout history, Bible history, but let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, which means if you have ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to save you from your sin, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The promise that was given to Abraham and Isaac and then all the way down through the generations now becomes us. That's us. We are heirs of this, this promise that's been given. Abraham is linked to Isaac, who's linked to Jacob, who's linked to Joseph, who's linked all the way down to the person that shared Christ with you and then the person that you're going to share Christ with. It's linked all the way through this promise that has been given. All those who by faith believe in Jesus Christ will inherit eternal life. It's a promise that has been given. They will receive the promise of eternity, forgiveness of their sin. And you say, Drew, that's what they're talking about? Yes, this is what this promise is that's passed on. This blessing that's passed on is a promise that God is going to work in your life like he has worked in my life. And, I, and we're going to look at what exactly that means. So now we're going to take the blessing. Again, this is a blessing that you can do for someone else. You can pass on this blessing to someone else. You can be a blessing to your children, to your children's children, to your children's children's children. This is the characteristics of the blessing. Let's look at it. First off, is we have a blessing of physical touch and affection. Right? So you're saying, Drew, what can I do to be a blessing to this next generation that we're talking about? Look at it. Verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, whose are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. 
And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with old age, so that he could not see. And so Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face on the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand, and he laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the right, on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. At this point in his life, Jacob is 147 years old. All right, so he was 130 when he moved to Egypt. 17 years have passed. And so now he's, if I did my math right, 147, right? He's old, and he's so old, and now he's lost his, his eyesight. And, uh, and so he's having the boys brought near. And so the two boys get close. And then Jacob kissed them, and he embraced them, and he placed his hands on their heads. All of this involves physical touch. And, and you say, if you want to be a blessing to the next generation, one of the first things that we see is physical touch. Now, what does that mean? All right, and why are you making a big deal about it? Let me just give you a, a historical point of reference. In, in 1989, Romania, there was a um, uh, Romanian dictator was over that country, and, and it was overthrown. That dictator was overthrown, and the world, the, the, that country got opened up to the world, which means for a long time, no one went into Romania. It was closed off because of the dictator. What they discovered was 170,000 children in Romanian orphanages. Uh, these were institutionalized orphanages. And so, essentially, they were warehouses, just large open space with cribs and infants and children in the cribs. 170,000 spread out over the country. And so what happens is they would have uh, a couple of caretakers for the children. So what the caretakers would do is they would go to the crib, they would change the child, they would feed the child, and then they would probably change out any bedding that was there, and they'd go on to the next child. They'd feed the child... All of that, just one after the next, 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 after the next. Hundreds of children in one of these institutionalized orphanages. There were three researchers. Their names were Fox, Nelson, and Xenia. These researchers specialized in children that were affected by institutionalized keep, like the children that were, in, were institutionalized, they specialized on that. They researched that. That was their specialty. So they're like, oh, this is a great opportunity for us to do some research. And so they went into these orphanages in Romania, and they essentially uh, discovered a whole lot of ways in which the uh, Romanian uh, orphanages affected these children. First off, they discovered is that when you walked into these warehouses, there was no crying. It's just absolute silence, which they didn't understand. Why are these children not crying? Well, see, what the children discovered was when I cry, no one comes. It doesn't do any good for me to cry, so I don't cry. So there's no crying. It's just silence. And, the, and, the, and then they discovered lots of other attachment disorders and all kind of things that they discovered. But one of the things they discovered, though, and they did this by creating three groups. They had a control group, which were the, the kids on the outside, local community kids that they used as a control group. They had the kids that remained in the institution, 
And then they had kids they put in foster homes. They pulled them out and they put them in these homes. And what they discovered that if they were two and under, within a very short period of time, those disorders and things that they found and discovered would kind of correct themselves. Because their brains, the little children's brains are so malleable, is that they could actually change the wiring inside their head and they could get back to kind of where they needed to be developmentally. The older they got, the slower that process become. Drew, why are you sharing the story? I'm sharing the story to give you the opposite perspective of children that are not touched. If you're never touched, that's what happens. And so God has designed us. He knows uh, how we're built and wired. He knows that, we, uh, that, that touch is a very important part for a blessing from one generation to the next. Now, of course, Satan likes to come in and mess all that up, right? I'm sure there's all kind of stuff in your head about ways we shouldn't touch. Absolutely. But God has designed us to be touch is very important. Hugs, kisses, uh, all that kind of stuff. Very important. So one of, the, one of the characteristics of a blessing that's passed on is he touches them. The next thing that we see is the blessing of the words of a faithful father. The words of a faithful father. Look at verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and he said, The God who my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has seen my shepherd, all, has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So Jacob bless, blesses Joseph and his sons in turn by blessing. Ble, J, Jacob blesses Joseph by blessing his two sons, is what I'm trying to say. So the two sons were being blessed as a link to the previous generations of men who walked uh, with God in faith. He's linking them to Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob and now Joseph and now the two boys. Let my name be carried on. Jacob identifies Joseph's two sons as his own. These are mine. These are my sons. They would receive the same inheritance as Joseph and his brothers. And he's saying, you belong to me. You are one of us. And the boys never grew up in Canaan. These two grandboys, grandchildren, never saw the lifestyle that Jacob and all of his other families had. They were shepherds, right? So, but you, he never saw that. The only lifestyle that these two grandsons saw were inside the palace in Egypt. You say, well, what's wrong with that? There's two cultures here that are at clashing with one another. And so Jacob is going, you're not part of that culture you're part of this culture. Now, what are you talking about? Look at Genesis chapter 43, verse 17. They, this is Joseph and the brother, this is a little bit earlier in the story where Joseph and his brothers, his brothers don't know who he is at this point. He hasn't revealed himself. They've been brought in to this specially prepared meal. And so uh, the brothers are brought in and they're seated. And look what it says. They served him, that's Joseph, by himself. So he's the second only to Pharaoh. He's, the, he's this huge official. He's put off at a special table by himself. Then uh, the Egyptians who ate with, them, with him by themselves. So you've got the Egyptians over here. You've got Joseph over here uh, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Then we skip ahead, verse 40, or chapter 46. Then Pharaoh. So now the brothers 
have come to Goshen. Uh, Pharaoh understands who Joseph is in relation to his family. He's like, look, I want to give you all a special place called Goshen. And so they go. Uh, and then now the whole family is going to appear before Pharaoh. And so Joseph coaches them. He goes, look, when you appear before Pharaoh, say this. And so this is what this conversation is. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock for our youth, from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. You got two cultures here. The Egyptians see the Israelites as being an abomination, like they're shepherds. They're, uh, right? and there, there's two cultures here that are at war with each other. And so Jacob is looking at his grandchildren. He's saying, you live in a culture that's really foreign to me. How many of grandparents here, when you look at your grandchildren, say, the world that you're living in is foreign to me? I think that'd be most of us, right? And you say, listen, that world is not the world that our family holds to. Our family is a follower of the one true God. You are one of us. You, you are of this tribe. You are of this group. And so he's distinctively saying, uh, you are not of that group. This culture, this, this followers of Jesus Christ, this idea of legacy of faith, all these things, you are one of us. You, you, we're doing this together. And then it says, let them grow into a multitude. These are words of affirmation, and these words that we speak and say over and around our children are powerful. Now, I want to give you another study. You're going to get sick of studies, but let me just give you another study that I think is very uh, powerful. It's, the, it's, the, it, it's, it's, an, it's a study that was done in an elementary school in the United States, and through a series of time, they discovered or came up with what they call the Pygmalion effect. All right, and so let me just give it to you real quick. The Pygmalion describes situations where someone's high expectation improves our behavior and therefore our performance in a given area. If a person in authority thinks that you can do this level of work, our, uh, ec or what we put out goes up, right? And here's, I'm going to show you a video really quick, and I want you to listen for these words. The kids were smarter when they were expected to be smarter by their teachers. In an experiment conducted at an elementary school like this one, psychologist Robert Rosenthal and school principal Lenore Jacobson took the Pygmalion effect one step further. What we wanted to show was the extent to which teachers' expectations could actually affect pupils' intellectual performance, for example, their IQ scores. So what we did was we tested everybody in a school with a test that pretended to be a test that would predict academic blooming, so-called Harvard test of inflected acquisition. And allegedly on the basis of that test, but not really, we gave each of the teachers in the school the names of a handful of children in her classroom that would get smart in the academic year ahead. These kids' names were taken out of a hat. We, we chose them by means of a table of random numbers. The children themselves did not know in any direct way that uh, teachers were holding certain expectations for them. Teachers were told not to tell the kids, and of course we didn't tell the, the children either. How much 
So the children never knew. Six times something that's close to 32. And then when we tested the children a year later, we found that those kids who'd been alleged to their teachers to be showing or going to show intellectual gains, in fact, showed greater intellectual gains than did the children of whom we'd said nothing in particular. So the kids actually got smarter when they were expected to get smarter by their teachers. Uh, we've come to feel that there are really four factors that operate in the mediation or communication of these. What had happened was, is you had kids chosen at random, just out of a hat, random children chosen. Then they told the teacher, these are the smart kids. These kids are going to be awesome. And then uh, the teachers treated them as though they were smart. And lo and behold, every single one of them scored at a smart level every single one of them so the words and the anticipation of what you expect of them actually happened right if you if you speak words powerful words over your children uh, you are smart right you can accomplish this you can do this you are a fantastic student right you you say those things you speak these things studies like this show that they will actually do it. They could accomplish it. They can do it. And so, uh, so as a grandparent, and again, it's a person of authority, right? You have a speaker, you have a teacher speaking uh, these truth to the students, right? I believe in you. You can do this. And uh, as a parent and as a grandparent, or as people, if you're working with a younger generation, all of this follows to be true. You say po positive, powerful things. Uh, there's also the opposite of this is the uh, self-fulfilling prophecy, right? The idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy is uh, parents tell their children, you're stupid, you can't do this. What are you doing? Why do you even try? Like, you're just dumb. You're just, you know, you, and they hear that all the time. Guess what in, starts to happen in their head is they start, I am stupid, I am dumb, I can't do this, and they don't even try. So you have, the, you have this Jacob who's there with his grandsons, and he's blessing them by physical touch, and he's saying words over them that are very powerful, powerful words. In my notes, I actually have an um, a, um, illustration by Bruce Wilkerson, Seven Laws of the Learner. I'm not going to cover it just for time's sake, but I encourage you to go. The notes are in the back of, you can scan it on the back of the pew. But there's, if you are a parent or a grandparent, you're like, well, how do I do that? There's, there's an actual way to, like, that he puts it into a pattern. All right, but I'm just going to keep going. All right, so the blessing, I'll see. The next thing that we see is the blessing is not based on the birth order. The blessing is not based on the birth order. Look at verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand and he moved it. All right, so what you've got is you've got the two grand boys there. The right hand was the symbolic measure of the most important, right? So the right hand is supposed to go on the oldest son's head. That's why Joseph arranged the order. When he's bringing them up, he's like, okay, let me see. Okay, you get, you, all right, you get here. And then he's bringing them up this way to granddad, right? And granddad can't see. He's old. And, and he puts his hands on the heads. And then he's like, nope. And he does this, right? And so Joseph's like, no, 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 dad. You got it all wrong. Dad, you got it wrong. Uh, you got him switched. And he's like, let's just see what happens. 
Joseph saw his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand and he moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Now, not, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his. Right, Dad, you got it wrong here. But his father refused. And he said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a great people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, this younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of the nations. And just historically, that's exactly what happened. Just saying, just historically. All right, verse 20. So he blessed him that day, saying, But you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, God made you, or make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he put Ephraim before Manasseh. If you go back in the history, Cain was older than Abel, uh, but Abel's sacrifice was preferred, right? I Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn son, but the word of God to Abraham was, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Esau was older of the two twin boys. Esau was older, but Jacob's the one that received the blessing. Uh, the promise was given to him. And in every instance, as you look back over the generations, God is working. And, it's, and, you, and I think we get so frustrated because we're like, it's supposed to be this way. But every time we get to these milestones, something, <laughs> something changes. It, it gets turned around. It gets twisted. Over and over in these narratives, the question of who receives the blessing has been the same. It's not the person it's supposed to be. Uh, on the contrary, the blessing is based solely on God's grace. God chooses which one he wants to bless and which one he chooses not to. What do we do with that? I believe that we just give our children to the Lord. We say, Lord, I, 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 here, here are my kids, here are my grandkids, here are these children that I'm working with, here's this next generation, Lord, we, just, we give them to you. I feel like it's supposed to go this way. I feel like you're supposed to be doing this. I feel like, Lord, you should be kind of doing this, but you're not. And I don't understand why you're not. I don't understand why it's not supposed to, it's not supposed to be the way it is right now. But, Lord, that's you working. So I'm going to trust for you to do that. And that's what Jacob is here. He's, he's like, nope, we're going to do it this way. And so Joseph's like, okay, Dad, I guess we're just going to have to go with that. And, and he does. The next thing that we see, the blessing involved remembering God's presence. Verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. That's Canaan, right? not Egypt. Moreover, I have given you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with the sword and with the bow. In Genesis chapter 28, after Jacob has been forced to leave his home with Esau, right? He steals... He tricks his dad he has to leave because Esau's mad at him God appeared to him at Bethel and he said I am with you and then and, and that's in verse 15 and then in chapter 31 where God appeared to Jacob and has sent him back to his own land it's time for you to go back he's been at his uncle's now it's time for you to go back he says I will be with you and then two verses later when Jacob is reflecting back on his experiences and this blessing that was given to him he says God has been with me he says the same thing in chapter 35. God has been with me wherever I have gone. 
And here in chapter 48, he's on his deathbed. Jacob takes these same truths and he shares them with his sons and his grandsons. What does that mean, Drew? That means the next, listen to me, the next generation needs to hear you say, God has been with me. He need, they need to hear the stories of God was with me here, he was with me here, and he was with me here. God has been with me all along the way, and he'll be with you too. He is faithful. And the next generation need to hear the stories. They need to hear the stories of how you came to know Christ and when you were in this situation but God came through and how God has worked in you. And now, is Jacob perfect? No, right? That's one of the things I've been trying to show you guys. Jacob's life has, is up and down. He is up and down. He's following the Lord. He's not following the Lord. He's following the Lord. He's not following the Lord. He's got a hard heart. He's got a numb heart. He's got a revitalized heart, right? Up and down, up and down his entire life. He's 147 years old, and he's still trying to figure this thing called life out. And he's telling his grandkids, God's been with me the whole time. He was with me when I was good. He was with me when I was bad. He was with me when I was rebelling against the Lord. He was still with me when I was following the Lord. He's been with me the whole time. The next generation needs to hear that. And so I've given you four, five, several things that you could do as a way to bless the next generation, to be a blessing to your children, to your grandchildren. Write them down, think about it, pray about it. But to be a blessing or to not be a blessing to me is... I mean, it is an option, but it's really not an option. I believe that in the life of, of faith, when Abraham died, there was some panic, right? Oh, no. What's going to happen? Abraham's not here anymore. And then Isaac came, all right? Isaac took, stood up. He took the leadership, and Isaac was then. As the time went by, Isaac died. Oh, no. What are we going to do? Isaac's not here anymore. And then Jacob, and then Joseph, and then generation after generation after generation. God has been faithful to bring up, to raise up the next leader of whoever that might be. So part of our blessing, telling the, the next generation the stories and how God has saved us, is so when that time comes, that next generation rises up, and that next generation, but we have to bless them. We have to be a blessing to them. And now is the time to be a blessing to the next generation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, Jacob. We thank you for this story, this true historical event that happened between him and his grandsons. Lord, I pray that it will be a teaching moment for us, that as we seek to be a blessing to the next generation, Lord, we know that that next leader is amongst them, the leaders and the, the, the teachers and the the, all, of, all of the next generation is so critically important. Let us be a blessing to them. Lord, help us to understand how important it is to give a high five or a fist bump or to just speak positive words to them, to just be a, a source of stories of how God has been faithful. Lord, help us just to be that blessing. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.